Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Gabriella Hoffman, host of District of Conservation. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. In this episode, episode, I will briefly go over some ballot initiatives and a very interesting development from the EPA in terms of green groups or radical environmentalist groups having to potentially register as foreign agents. If you want an examination into the two major presidential candidates and where they stand on conservation and environmental issues, go back a few episodes to learn about their stances, accomplishments, or lack thereof there. I could dedicate another episode to their accomplishments, but I already did it. So I want to sidestep into what individual states are mulling and also explore this latest development for you guys. But before we dip into that, I want to read a brand new review that we have received here on the podcast from a new listener, someone who isn't really an endemic user, more so like a non-consumptive user, but he enjoys the podcast. So I'm going to read for you what this individual had to say at the podcast up at Apple. And if you guys want to leave reviews at Apple Podcasts, that's the best way to signal to me that you hear it, you like it, you want to see some improvements, you enjoy the guests, whatever. But it's a good barometer to know how the podcast is being received. It's not required, but it's kind of encouraged if you really like what I have to offer here and the guests that we bring on. So feel free to lend your reviews if you haven't already. And this is from Asher Madon, and he called the podcast simply phenomenal. This is one of the few podcasts I listen to, and each episode is better than the last. If you're looking for truly unique stories that you can't find elsewhere, I'd recommend listening to this. Thank you, Asher. Really much appreciate the kind words about the podcast. And you can join Asher in leaving a review. And if you don't know how to do it, I will include it in the show notes for you guys to take care of and carry out. Now onto the ballot initiatives and this referral to the DOJ by the EPA administrator Wheeler on uh, the potential of these green groups to be potentially in a bad position. There's actually been documentation over the years that many prominent environmentalist groups, including the Sierra Club and Natural Resources Defense Council, champion anti- oil and gas, especially anti-fracking positions because they are receiving backing from organizations that get funding from foreign countries uh, who are threatened by American energy independence. So we'll talk more at length about that. I have previously talked about Colorado's Proposition 114, which would be the forced reintroduction of wolves. So we won't get into that today. You can go back to my episode with Mia Anstein if you want to hear it. But there are a few other outstanding ballot initiatives you guys ought to consider if you live in these following states. And while the bulk of my listeners live in Virginia, Florida, and California, we do have a little bit of listenership out west. But something that really will perk your interest is Utah Constitutional Amendment E the right to hunt and fish, which is on the ballot in Utah. And Ballotpedia says this. 
a yes vote supports establishing a constitutional right to hunt and fish in Utah, a yes on E, a no vote opposes establishing a constitutional right to hunt and fish in Utah. And here's what the overview says, according to Ballotpedia. The amendment would establish state constitutional right to hunt and fish for the people of Utah. The amendment would subject the right to hunt and fish to statutes that, according to the amendment text, promote wildlife conservation and management and preserve the future of hunting and fishing. The measure would also declare that hunting and fishing are the preferred means of managing and controlling wildlife in Utah. And they go on to say the measure would take effect on January 1st of next year if approved by the voters at the ballot box a week from today. And it was sponsored by Utah House of Representatives member Casey Snyder, a Republican. The House approved the measure by a vote of 61 to 9. Back in February, the Senate passed the measure with amendments on March 10th by a vote of 21 to 7. And da da da. So it had almost pretty widespread support. And the key sponsor, Casey Snyder, said this about it. Hunting and fishing has always been a critical component of our state. It's a part of who we are. This bill is not only about protecting who we are, but preserving who we are going forward. It is not unforeseeable, and history bears this out, that 30 or 40 or 50 years from now, those participating in hunting and fishing will be very significant minority, more so than they already are. It is not a foregone conclusion that these sort of activities will be eliminated from the public sphere and from conservation generally and at large. And if you guys don't already know about hunting and fishing amendments, there are about 22 other states that currently enshrine these in their respective state constitutions, most recently being the state of North Carolina. I talked about this early on in the podcast when I first launched it, and it was improved by the citizens of North Carolina in November 2018. A few million dollars were spent to support and also to defeat this. And if you don't know the history of the right and the right to hunt and fish amendments, uh, Vermont, believe it or not, was the first state to ratify such in 1777. And 20 other states have adopted it uh, since 1996. And if you don't know, not every one of these states uh, has both equally weighted. Uh, For instance, California and Rhode Island include constitutional amendments guaranteeing the right to fish but not to hunt. Florida and New Hampshire had statutes establishing the right to fish and hunt, but they don't have constitutional amendments. And here's a little bit more on the right to hunt and fish amendments and what they stand for. Between the country's founding in 1776 and the mid-1990s, Vermont was the only state with the right to hunt and fish in its state constitution. How crazy is that? Because uh, the outdoor heritage has been embedded in our country since our founding. And it's, you know, going back into the history, when I first examined this, I was really astonished to find that only one state had this. But I'm continuing here on Ballotpedia. The trend of constitutional amendments establishing individuals' rights to hunt and fish began in 1996 when Alabama voters cast their ballots in support of what was called the Sportsman's Bill of Rights. As of June 2019, there are a total of 22 states that have passed constitutional amendments proclaiming a right to hunt and fish, starting with the 1996 vote in Alabama. Voters in one state, Arizona, rejected a constitutional amendment in 2010. Very weird. And if you want to know a short list of the states that have it, I'm going to read for you which states they are. So obviously Vermont being the trailblazer in 1777, followed by Alabama in 96, Minnesota in 98, South Dakota in 2000, Virginia in 2000, Wisconsin in 2003, Louisiana in 2004, Montana in 2004, Georgia in 2006, Oklahoma in 2008, 
Arkansas in 2010, South Carolina in 2010, Tennessee in 2010, Idaho in 2012, Kentucky in 2012, Nebraska in 2012, Wyoming in 2012, Mississippi 2014, Texas 2015, Indiana in 2016, Kansas 2016, North Carolina in 2018. And I expect Utah will be the 23rd state to enshrine this. But like I had mentioned earlier, California and Rhode Island are the only ones that guarantee the right to fish, but not to hunt. And if these concern you and you want to petition your state that is not listed to do this, you can obviously go through the ballot process, make sure that your state legislature approves it so that it can go on the ballot if your state has pretty amenable laws to this. But I wonder if this could be a remedy with kind of the challenges that come to hunting and fishing in the legislative process. But this is one way to, I think, encourage it. Uh, You will see some opposition from this. Usually the usual suspects opposed to this are animal rights activists, virulently Uh, radical environmentalist groups who don't like humane society. You'll see some Sierra club types oppose this, but uh, you'll be able to see who supports this, who doesn't. But I anticipate Utah passing this with flying colors. No question about it. There are also some other interesting amendments across the different states. These are more so in line with conservation. I'm sorry. They're more so aligned with environment, forests, and parks. Uh, Nevada has a really interesting question, Nevada question six, which relates to renewable energy standards initiative. And a yes vote supports amending the state constitution to require electric utilities to acquire 50% of their electricity from renewable resources by 2030. A no vote opposes amending the state constitution, thus maintaining the statutory requirements that require electric utilities to acquire 50% of their electricity from renewable resources by 2030. And in Nevada, it has an interesting process for which people can amend or strike out from constitution. So they have initiated constitutional amendments that need to be approved in two consecutive even number election years. And I'm reading this from Ballotpedia for those of you who are not following closely. Uh, In 2018, this ballot initiative first was approved as question six, and therefore it needs to be approved again in order to be amended in the Nevada Constitution. And here's a little more context behind this, if you're curious. Uh, So they want to add language to the Nevada Constitution requiring the state to increase to 50% of electricity production by renewables by 2030. An RPS is a mandate that electric utilities acquire a minimum amount of electricity from renewable energy sources. The constitutional amendments would increase the RPS to 50% by 2030. The amendment would also define renewable energy to include resources such as solar, geothermal, wind, biomass, and hydroelectric. Specifically, it would require an increased RPS each year until reaching 50% in 2030. And you can read more if you're interested on this. Obviously, it has endorsements from pretty staunch environmentalist organizations, those aligned with Tom Steyer, Next Generation Climate Action. And the political breakdown is there as well for you. But I think with recent fires and just certain comments coming to light, I really don't think voters and energy consumers are going to be too happy with this shift to going carbon free by some arbitrary deadline, especially with the low cost of gas and things starting to slowly bounce back. But also the fact that they see that California shuts down because their grid is not retrofitted to accommodate such a demand by renewables. So I think, I don't know how Nevada is going to vote. I hear Nevada politically speaking, aside from the 
aside from this podcast may go in the Republicans direction, this election, I've heard different chatter. I've seen different initial statistics. I don't know if that carries down to down ballot votes, but this could easily pass given the fact that Nevada is controlled by Democrats who are pretty beholden to radical environmentalist standards, or it could surprise us and people may reject this having seen just the promises of oil and gas being eliminated and the fact that so many people still rely on natural gas to power their electricity. But that's something also to be aware of. And I think something a little less controversial, which I don't know much about, uh, but is Michigan Proposal 1, the use of state and local park funds amendment. So I want to read for you guys what this is. And again, this is from Ballotpedia. A yes vote supports making changes to how revenue in the state's park-related funds can be spent, including making projects to renovate recreational facilities eligible for grants and requiring that at least 20% of parks endowment fund spending be spent on park capital improvements and removing the cap on the size of natural resources trust fund. A no vote opposes making changes to how revenue in the state's park related funds can be spent, thus continuing to prohibit projects to renovate recreational facilities from receiving grants and continuing to not require a specific amount of the parks endowment fund spending to be spent on park capital improvement projects and keeping the cap on the size of natural resources trust fund. You can find all those three different proposals in the link in bio show notes if you are curious to learn more but i think the utah one is really interesting because i think we will see more states adopt right to hunt and fish amendments the nevada one will be very interesting to follow especially if the politics of the silver state perhaps surprise us um, or if the energy issue comes back to bite people who currently lead the state of nevada I don't know too much. I can't read too much into Nevada. And it'll be interesting to see how Michiganders vote on this. Now onto this development from the EPA. I don't know if you guys know this much, but there has been a lot of investigative work digging into how a lot of these green groups or environmentalist groups are so powerful, have all this disposable capital to sue, to engage in lawsuits, to engage in a lot of marketing campaigns and really be influential in politics. And it can largely stem from the fact that they are backed by certain groups. And so EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler uh, released a letter in response to an issue raised by Congressman Lance Gooden of Texas's 5th Congressional District. And here is how the letter reads. Dear Congressman Gooden, Thank you for your letter dated October 8th, 2020. At EPA, we take the concerns you raised about foreign interference in our government very seriously. As a note, it is not a violation of U.S. law for a nonprofit group to accept contributions from foreign entities. Foreign entities are not precluded from submitting comments to EPA on regulations, draft permits, or enforcement settlements, either directly or through agents. It is also not unlawful for nonprofit groups to accept funds from a foreign entity to carry out the objectives of that entity and to meet with the U.S. government to do so. However, foreign influence should not be covert. The most applicable law that ensures transparency of foreign funding of political advocacy in the rulemaking context is the Foreign Agents Registration Act, FARA. That law requires that anyone acting as an agent of a foreign principal when conducting political activities register with the attorney general so that the public and government agencies can consider the identity of the principal when assessing any arguments made by the agent. The Department of Justice has recently applied FARA's requirements in the context of political advocacy by any environmental organization receiving foreign funding for the advocacy. Given heightened concern that foreign countries, primarily Russia and China, 
are potentially funding U.S.-based green groups to undermine American energy independence and to help maintain the integrity of EPA's decision-making, EPA will refer this matter to the DOJ FARA unit. The DOJ can then determine what appropriate steps to take, if any, including whether those entities should be registered as a foreign agent. EPA will, of course, continue to comply fully with the Administrative Procedure Act and consider substantive comments timely filed in a relevant docket, whether submitted by an agent as a foreign of a foreign government or a domestic party. Should any should additional groups beyond those listed in your letter include any funded by Sea Change Foundation be identified as potential sources of foreign influence, EPA will refer those matters to DOJ as well. Again, thank you for bringing this matter to our attention. We appreciate your interest in safeguarding EPA against covert foreign influence. So that was in response to a letter that Lance Gooden sent, and I'm going to find the letter for you guys. And then I'm going to talk about that Sea Change Foundation there. And uh, so Lance Gooden, I'll also link to his letter as well. Uh, he accuses, Lance Gooden uh, wrote this letter, obviously, October 8th. He said, I respectfully request that the EPA conduct a swift and thorough investigation into foreign influence, financial involvement, and election interference by a number of environmental groups in the U.S., including the Sea Change Foundation, the Sierra Club, and the Sunrise Movement. Based on information recently brought to my attention, I believe there is considerable evidence of foreign interference in our government perpetrated through environmental groups like these taking shelter behind the nonprofit status of donor anonymity. Both members of Congress and the media have long noted that many environmental groups receive large sums of money from an organization called, quote, the Sea Change Foundation, end quote, a proven front group for foreign financing funded by offshore hedge funds in Bermuda. In fact, in 2017, the House Committee on Science identified Russia-funded social media advertisements actively targeting the U.S. energy sector, particularly fracking, leading up to the 2016 U.S. election. Many 501c4s receive foreign funding for research or programming, but the environmental groups in question are not acting as mere think tanks or research organizations. These groups actively lobby Congress for legislative actions, support political affiliations, and promote policy. They have also been known to organize and pay operatives to disrupt American energy operations and election processes. While it is not illegal for tax-exempt 501c4s to receive funding from foreign countries, the Foreign Agents Relations Registration Act, FARA, stipulates that any foreign funding organization engaged in political activity must register as a foreign agent. Environmental groups that receive money from sea change or other foreign-funded organizations who then use those funds to target American energy interests should disclose the source of their funding and potentially register as foreign agents. These groups are clearly engaging in politics at best and operating at the behest of foreign actors at worst. And his letter concludes like this. It's a little long. China has a long history of successfully destroying American industries for their own benefit. We cannot allow China to undermine and threaten our energy industry the way they destroyed our manufacturing industry. The future and national security of Americans are at stake. We must protect our resources. Foreign countries, particularly China and Russia, aim to diminish American energy independence. It behooves them to fund organizations who work to stifle domestic energy progress. For instance, Russia has an interest in ending oil and gas production in America because their entire economy is dependent on Russian dominance in the oil market. If you did not know this, this is actually verifiably true. This is backed up by numerous investigative reports, which I'll go on to explain in a moment. While China is newer to the energy game, they are quickly becoming a powerhouse. Climate change campaigns have been very profitable for China as they hold monopolies on many of the critical minerals used in the renewable energy space. When the U.S. pulled out of the job-killing Paris Climate Accord, environmental activists bashed Trump's decision. 
These same actors remain silent on China's egregious environmental practice, including horrible air quality and a hefty carbon footprint. Despite China being a leading polluter, they rarely face condemnation from so-called green groups. Attorney General Bill Barr recently stated, quote, the greatest threat to the 2020 election is China, end quote. We have strong reason to believe that one of the many tactics they're using to influence our elections is through eco-left green groups. The CCP cannot be trusted, and we must hold them and any bad actors accountable for funding political activity and election meddling in the United States. Thank you for your prompt attention to this matter. Respectfully, Lance Gooden, congressman from Texas's 5th District. Now, the Sea Change Foundation, which he alludes to, I'm going to read for you guys this. This... Uh, has actually been a topic that investigative reporter Kevin Mooney has focused on. And some people may look and Google and see that he does write for conservative publications, but I'm reading for you from Newsweek, which is no conservative outlet about his work. And this is dated from July, 2017. Putin is funding green groups to discredit natural gas fracking. And I'm going to include this in the show notes for you guys. Uh, There is... He cites the fact that um, the Daily Signal, which is a news outlet from Heritage Foundation, obtained a copy of a letter to Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary from Representatives Lamar Smith and Randy Weber, both Republicans who chair energy-related House panels. And they quote sources saying the Russian government has been colluding with environmental groups to circulate disinformation and propaganda aimed at undermining hydraulic fracturing. Commonly called fracking, the process makes it possible to access natural gas deposits. He provides documentation to this. He also points to the fact that Gazprom, which is Russia's largest oil state-owned company, seeks to benefit if Russian-funded environmental activism results in reduced levels of fracking and natural gas in the United States. One example, you can read more about that there. But as it relates to the Sea Change Foundation, what both the EPA letter and Congressman Gooden's letter alluded to, again, Kevin Mooney pointed out the fact that there is a connection between Russia and green groups fighting fracking in the United States. And let's read more a little bit here in this Daily Signal article. Two environmental advocacy groups that successfully lobbied against fracking in New York each received more than $10 million in grants from a foundation in California that got financial support from a Bermuda company, congressional investigators linked to the Russians' public documents show. The environmental groups Natural Resources Defense Council and the Sierra Club Foundation received millions of dollars in grants from the San Francisco-based Sea Change Foundation. Where did we hear that? I just talked about the Sea Change Foundation. And you can read more about that as well in kind of their suspicious ties. And again, in the examiner, the Washington examiner, Kevin Mooney talked at length about how Russian funded environmental groups support anti-fracking efforts here. So it's really easy to follow the money, to follow the investigative work and perhaps see why people are so adamant about opposing fracking and, and why they do and who is supporting those efforts. And this is not a conspiracy But Russia does meddle in elections and they do meddle in pushing anti-fracking efforts to make the United States less energy independent. This is not some kooky conspiracy theory. This is laid out very well through different documentation and investigative work and through organizations like Sea Change, which are propping and are possibly having to register under the FARA Act as foreign agents because of their interference since they receive money from out of the country. So you can find all that information Link in the notes about all this. And this is not me spouting some stuff. I'm very critical of Russia in the political sphere because of the Kremlin and their machinations. And if people want to talk about real collusion, this is one area in the energy sector where they wholly, uniformly, and undoubtedly interfere. And that's why 
a lot of people support that here domestically, but they never criticize coal, oil, and gas abroad. So you're going to be hearing more of this rhetoric regardless of the election's outcomes next week. And this is something to be worried about if you're not already worried about. But I I will keep track of this case more closely and keep you guys abreast with what is happening. But I had to talk about this because so much of the conversation about energy is about getting rid of this, that oil and gas are passe, they're irrelevant, you have to go fully forward with renewables, although a lot of renewable energy resources rely on oil and gas to back them up. Um, They come at a more higher cost. And to build solar panels and wind turbines requires actually a lot more land and increases a carbon footprint far more than oil, gas, and coal typically do. And this is something that Michael Schellenberger has pointed out recently and consistently and other people are pointing out consistently. So you need to be aware of this. Um, you don't have to agree with all the points I bring out here, but you need to be aware that this information exists. And that's why you see people denouncing fracking, although many people get their electricity from fracking to power their homes. If the information I provided was a little long-winded, kind of over your head, complicated, a lot to absorb, I can understand that. For me, it was the same too, especially the latter topic. But it's extremely important as a freelance journalist and as someone who engages on these issues to bring to you guys important stories that get overlooked or get misrepresented. I am not at all compensated by oil or gas. If I was, I would help them improve their messaging, but I'm not, and I don't want to be. I think it's important that people understand how misrepresented this energy source, natural gas, is, and how oil and gas, um, if you were to eliminate that from energy consumptive uses, it's going to trickle down to byproducts that are produced by petroleum and oil and gas. People don't see that connection. And we're going to try to make the case for why it is essential to use them, but also how you can be responsible in using it without detrimentally hurting the environment. And I think the two philosophies don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can work in concert with one another. That's why I do focus on energy issues too. I'm trying to get better and more informed as I have been across the years, but you're not just going to hear me talk about hunting and fishing. Um, You're going to hear me talk about energy issues more, and we're not going to shy away from those issues as well, because these go hand in hand. Uh, The Land and Water Conservation Fund is propped up by oil and gas royalties collected on federal public lands. So you wouldn't have critical environmental programs like that if it weren't for oil and gas royalties. And there's other connectivity and other programs that we enjoy that come because of different royalties and different mechanisms in place. So many people don't see that connection and we will continue to deliver that. If you enjoyed this episode and you've been enjoying the series, make sure you leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement. Tell me who you'd like to hear on the podcast. I would love your suggestions. We don't shy away from bringing on politicians, newsmakers, influencers, the good kind, of course, storytellers, and more. I really enjoy it when people of different thinkings, philosophically and politically, come here. This podcast, come listen, come with an open mind, come listen to the guests that I bring on. It really is important that we engage in dialogue and offer some unique perspectives in the conservation and environmental space. Stay tuned for our exclusive interview with Senator Dan Sullivan this Friday. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening.